people of God, we look together at the word of our Lord, the good news of God's saving work in our lives, 2 John, 2 John, we'll read verses 1 through 3, and our text will be verse 3. There are sometimes like this morning that we look at a portion of scripture like the the forest. You look across the whole scope of it. There's sometimes you look at a tree and its individual leaves and how they're structured and you focus on a particular verse. Uh, This evening we look at a particular verse. 2 John uh, chapter uh, 3. We'll read verses 1 through 3 and verse 3 is our text. The elder To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. People of God, that word from God's word. How do you greet your best friend? You children, what's the normal greeting of the day for you and teenagers? I'm not sure I can keep up with that since I don't have teenagers. You know, there's all these things like, I mean, one time it's like, what's up? You know, I don't know. And uh, how's it going? Seems to be a typical one. Uh, Hi, how are you? Uh, Those are typical greetings, aren't they? Uh, They seem to be somewhat perfunctory because I've had very very few people, even when I use such a greeting, how are you doing? Uh, That's it. Hi, good. How are you? Oh, good. Yeah. And we really don't explain how we're doing, are we? Do we? It's pretty simple. In the Old Testament, uh, there would be a greeting that would be uh, much more biblical in nature. Shalom would often be a greeting uh, which would convey, may God's peace and wholeness rest upon you. God greets his people. And verse 3 is the greeting uh, that is set before us and and so tonight we look at three parts, not of a, you know, a simple greeting, not you know, just like a quick pass me by, but something that we ought all to pay attention to. Just like the very nature of worship, so we ought as God's people to pay attention to the elements of worship. And, and tonight we look at one element of worship, and that is the greeting We call it an element of worship because we are absolutely convinced that in the worship service, we we obey God's command to do certain things. And we only worship in a way that God calls us to. That's a a confession that we have together in the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, the uh, sec- in the explanation of the second commandment in question and answer 96, it declares this. What is God's will for us in the second commandment? 
that we in no way make any image of God. And we all go, oh, that's really easy. Well, it's not near as easy as what you think it is. But yes, we are not very, uh, we don't typically make images of God. And we, we don't have statutes or pictures of God hanging all over our church. And so we can say, well, we've got that one, right? But there's a lot more to it than that. But we won't get into that in this sermon. And then the second part of this is this. Nor worship him in any other way than has been commanded in God's word. Worship him in any other way than that God has commanded us in his word. That means we don't add to the worship service what God hasn't commanded us to do. There are those who think they can add whatever they want. There are those who think that that we can, as long as God doesn't forbid something, we can do it in worship. But no, mud wrestling tournaments, which I've actually heard of within a supposed worship service, or, or a liturgical dance, those things are not commanded in Scripture, so we don't do them. But what is commanded? One of the things that is commanded is the blessing of God to be conferred upon his people. And so uh, we look at that, uh, that element that we, we experience together basically four times each Sunday, at the beginning of the morning uh, of each service and at the end. Uh, we can call it the greeting or the salutation or the benediction. But it all has to do with the blessing of God, the blessing of God. And first we're going to look at the content of the blessing, although each aspect of the content is, is certainly a sermon in itself, but we'll look at the, the content of the blessing and, and then we'll, we'll look at the giver of the greeting and then the recipients of the greeting as we look together at the greeting of God that he has set before us. And we use the example of the greeting that's in 2 John. 2 John, verse 3. Now, when you look at this greeting, you have to acknowledge that in Scripture, there are numerous ways in which the greeting is presented. And I have people who ask me on occasion, now, when we get the greeting... Should we close our eyes and fold our hands because it's a prayer? I go, yes. And they say, should we lift up our hands, which we are not accustomed to at all, and look up with an expectant God is giving his greeting? I say, yes. Um, uh, There is no specific command of how we receive the greeting in that way. And the greeting itself, from book to book, is different. In this, uh, one might look at 2 John particularly as a prophecy greeting, a prophetic greeting. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. So that's, that's like a prophetic declaration. It's a promise greeting. So the greeting is a promise. Here it's almost a prophecy. The the grace, mercy, and peace of God will be with us. And certainly, uh, there are blessings in Scripture which are 
clear evidences of promise. One of the very first blessings, example of blessings, not the first, but one of the first is in Genesis uh, chapter 49. And here it's the patriarch, uh, Jacob, uh, giving his greeting. And we'll look specifically at that greeting that was given to Judah. Uh, the greeting that's given to Judah in chapter 49, verse 8. 49, verse 8. Judah, your brother shall praise you. And now this is a, this is a prophetic blessing upon Judah. And we know that this was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it's looking to Christ. And so this is a blessing that's coming to the Israelites through, the, through, the, through Judah and his descendants, through the tribe of Judah, ultimately the household of David, that would come in Jesus Christ. And, the, and that blessing is proclaimed this way. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, and your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples." What a glorious blessing, a prophetic blessing that God gave to his people in the Old Testament concerning Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 7 is a type of greeting. Romans chapter 1 verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just an absolute declaration. And so there we see a greeting as a declaration. So a greeting really has all of these elements, even though it's focused on one. It's a declaration. It's a prophetic promise given to us in proclamation. A prophetic promise given in proclamation. This is what that greeting of God, a promise of blessing from our God. That's the fundamental principle. And it's to be conferred upon God's people. And that can be seen if we look at uh, what we have all probably all know by heart. And that is the great blessing uh, that God gave uh, to His Old Testament people in Numbers chapter 6. And we, we know that by heart. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. That blessing. But it's in this context, uh, in that Old Testament word. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus You shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them. And then that blessing. And then the verse immediately following. So shall they, Aaron and his sons, 
Put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. It is a putting of God's name upon you. The Lord, and that is in every one of these instances, the Lord is is that covenant faithful God, Yahweh. The Lord bless, the Lord make, the Lord lift up. It is all what God is doing and it is the putting of God's name upon His people. This blessing. It is, it is a great blessing to have the name of God put upon us. So that's the very nature of this, uh, this blessing. And then the, the, the specific content of that blessing that comes to us is in John. And there's other examples of specific blessings that will use somewhat different words. Grace, mercy, and peace. And of course, we're not looking in depth at any of on those three things. But in the Gospel of John, in John's writing, it, it actually is that the word grace is not used very often in comparison to, let's say, some of Paul's writings. The word grace is not used often. But that doesn't mean that it's relegated to a, a minor place. Not at all. In 1 John 1.14, we have set before us uh, the, the nature of the grace of God coming to us because Christ has come into the world. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh. And of course, that's a reference to Jesus. And the Word uh, to the, the eternal Son of God. Uh, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John bore witness about Him and cried out, This is He of whom I have said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Grace in and through Jesus Christ. And so it it seems very appropriate that some people can define grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. It's not a bad summary. It's not the fullness of grace, but it's not a bad summary, is it? It's this this grace upon grace. Grace and truth come through the Word made flesh. God's blessing to His people that has come to us through Jesus Christ. Well, there are many different ways in which we can define grace mercy, and peace. And I'd like to just read a couple of definitions from uh, various commentators and just to get the fullness of of kind of the balance between grace, mercy, and peace. Uh, One commentator, grace removes guilt, mercy removes misery, peace expresses a continuance in grace and mercy. Or another, grace points to the absolute freedom of God's love and relationship to man's helplessness to win it. Amen. Mercy to his tenderness towards man's misery. There's a 
pity that's involved in this mercy. Peace stands for harmony, trust, rest, safety, and freedom. Shalom of the Old Testament. It is God's gift to man. Another, from the divine persons of the Godhead, the apostle craves grace, divine favor, and goodwill, the spring of all things. It is grace indeed that any spiritual blessing should be given to sinful mortals. Mercy, free pardon, and forgiveness for those already rich in grace need continual forgiveness. Peace, quietness of spirit, and a clear conscience, an assured reconciliation with God, together with all outward prosperity that is really for good. These are desired in truth and in love. Grace, mercy, and peace. Peace with God because of mercy brought by Jesus on the cross, rooted and grounded in grace, God's undeserved love, which motivated mercy in which we experience reconciliation with God, peace with God. Grace, mercy, and peace, the blessing of God in our lives. So who is the giver? Well, we already mentioned the giver is God. But people of God, just like you, ought to be amazed at the fact that we are a people who live under grace and not the curse. Be amazed at this greeting. I am certain that were this greeting, well, I'm certain that this greeting would have been considered blasphemy by many blasphemy. We're so used to it. We don't see a striking uh, even change, a fuller revelation. Grace, mercy, and peace from God. In other words, all a gift. The giver of the, of the greeting is God, without a doubt. It is, it, this is all a gift. It cannot be earned. It cannot be deserved. It comes as a gift. Grace, mercy, and peace. All is a gift from God. That God that we saw this morning, that even in the context of the worship of God's people who are reconciled through the blood of the cross, even in that context, we're reminded that this is a God who judges all people. This is a God who is a consuming fire. This God is God. This sovereign God. His grace, mercy, and peace comes to us as a father to his children. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. And the Catechism will emphasize, doesn't it, the fatherhood of God in, in the fact that it is God in His, He has the power to do all that, that He needs to do be, or he, he desires to do because He is God and He desires to do it because He's the Father of His children of those he saves, those he sovereignly rescues. It is all from God, not from us. Not earned, not deserved. And it comes from God the Father. God the Father. And from Jesus Christ. Uh, Imagine for a moment, in the Old Testament, 
a priest declaring, Grace, the Lord and Moses bless you. The Lord and David cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord and Elisha grant you peace. Well, if your pastor started giving that kind of blessing on the pulpit, I suspect that the elders would have some real concern and how do we jump up and stop this blasphemy? For the name of Jesus to be here was shocking, wasn't it? In its clarity, in its without any doubt, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. From Jesus Christ. Jesus, that name that we saw this morning, that we, we ought never to be tired of, that name that is Yahweh saves, Yahshua, that name which is given because he will save his people from their sins. Not he might, but he will. And because of that, grace, mercy, and peace flows to us in all of this. From Jesus Christ. Christ will emphasize that prophetic connection to Jacob's declaration of Judah. Because Christ is the anointed one, that sovereign king, that Dev, David's line, this is Christ, that, that name of Jesus, that entitle, uh, that emphasizes that he is true man. Jesus, he is true God, true man, true God, Christ, the anointed one, prophet, priest, and king, and a priest who offers himself as the sacrifice, and a king who continually in the Old and New Testament era rules his people as sovereign Lord. Jesus Christ. And we see that there was uh, the clear conflict within the minds of, of the scribes and the Pharisees. How is this possible? And then that phrase that clarifies it all. Jesus Christ. The Father's Son. The Son of the Father. The Father's Son. They go, well, of course Jesus is the Father's Son. Uh, we know that. that. That's so simple. You children, you, you know, who, who is Jesus? And you say, he's the Son of the Father. Right? We say that. Know this, people of God. This phrase, Son of the Father, God's only begotten Son, is a totally unique phrase in all of Scripture that is only applied to Jesus. Moses is never called Son of the Father. David is never called Son of the Father. Paul is not called son of the Father. We're all called sons of God. We're all sons of the Father. We're all children of God. 
But that phrase, only begotten Son, Son of the Father, appears 46 times in all of Scripture. Once in the Old Testament, 45 times in the New Testament, all clearly referring to only Jesus. The source of the greeting is one who is totally unique in all of Scripture, for he has one special, unique, divine relationship with the Father, like no one else. And even this phrase, Son of the Father, or Father's Son, is a teaching that emphasizes that. And the fact that grace, mercy, and peace come from God, Father, and God, Son, is striking if you were to hear it as a New Testament believer. You would oh, I just can't get over that. Wow, that's just so unbelievable that God in His divine Word would set this in place. It's just so radically different than the Lord, although the triune Lord, Lord, Lord has some prophetic relationship to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are we won't dive deep into that, but there are some who see that. But here it's clear. Are the grace and the mercy and the peace of God come from Jesus Christ, God's Son? In John chapter 10, John chapter 10, uh, this is the radical nature of Jesus claiming to be God's Son. Uh, comes to us. John 10, verse 27. John 10, uh, verse uh, 27. And Jesus is speaking, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Notice the parallel. Father's hand, Son's hand. I and the Father are one. I am God's Son. God declares, this is my beloved Son. And the Jews, verse 31, picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because they considered it blasphemy. And it would have been if it wasn't true. I ought not to say that. I can't say that. I and the Father are one, the way Jesus says it. I can't say it at all. I am not one with the Father. I am not the exact representation of His glory. Jesus is and was. For He is the eternal Son. Unique. Incarnate. Amazing grace. And who receives these blessings from God the Father and God the Son? Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. The us. Those who are in truth and in love. Those who are the redeemed of the Lord. Or as John declares it, the elect lady and her children the elect lady and her children. The local congregation and the individual members of it. The elect lady here is not a reference to the church as a whole. It's a reference to 
a local congregation. And so you have both a, a communal aspect, the elect lady, and her children. Uh, we see that, that it's a, a local church because in verse 13 we read, The children of your elect sister greet you. All right, so John is a member of a local church, which he describes as the elect sister of the elect lady that he is writing to. And so it's, it's the local church, and every local church, every true believing community, and the children of that elect lady, the children who are part of that church, of course are the believers, are the, the members of that church. The elect lady and their children. The, the children and are those who exist in truth and in love. And in some way you might describe that as doctrine in life. There's oftentimes this, this pitting again, uh, in opposition to each other, doctrine and life. There's no such thing in Scripture. It's always together. Truth and love. Truth and love. You, you can't love another person unless you know the truth on how to love them. And of course, we believe that God's law sets before us what truth in love is. And so for an example, in truth in love means that, that it, is, it is absolutely loving to be faithful to the wife of your youth. That's love. It, love isn't, well, whoever I fall into love with today is the person I'm going to have some form of a relationship with. And I can switch off and on, that off and on whenever I want to. Of course not. God's people exist under the blessing of God. And in the, under the blessing of God, we live out the reality of truth in love. In truth and in love, we live out that reality. And so we are those who have been loved by God. And who love? You know, John has a great theme of love. One of the most well-known verses of all of Scripture talk about that. About existing as those who are loved and who because of that are able to love. Because they've been transformed by the love of God. John 14 will describe those who live in such a state. John 3 verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. One of those, several of those 49 instances of talking about Jesus being the Son are in these verses. Are in these verses. Those who exist 
in love and in truth. We are in love with God. We're in love with the truth of God. We are in love with the people of God. And we love the enemies of God. Because we have been born of God. And so people of God, know this, that when you step forward into this new week, the blessing of God, the name of God rests upon you. And when those trials and difficulties come and you say, am I cursed by God? You remember that God put His name upon you. The blessing of God has been placed upon you. And by faith you embrace that truth. And you know that no matter what the circumstances you you are in, you will have an absolute confidence that this is not the curse of God, but ultimately the blessing of God. Because I exist in the love and in the truth of God. I exist under the grace, mercy, and peace of God. That is what has come upon me. The Christian life, in its joys and in its sorrows, is not the experience of the curse of God. It is the experience of the blessing of God living in the reality of grace, mercy, and peace flowing from the Father and the Son to us in truth and in love. Amen. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, may we marvel May we stand amazed that you bless us. We don't deserve that blessing. We confess it. We are sinful creatures, but you give it. You give it as grace and mercy and peace in our lives. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that. O Lord, May we lift up your name and may we live out of the reality of being under your blessing, living in truth and in love. Amen.